All right, welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Hope everyone had an awesome weekend and is ready to get their week started off on a good foot this Monday morning. We've got some great stories to discuss. Uh, we we're talking about Tesla's recalls, um, what that has meant for the company and how they're going about fixing that. We're talking about an algorithm uh, change made to the Twitter feed. We're also talking about Shopify, cutting back on uh, hundreds of thousands of hours worth of meetings internally. And then we're also going to be talking about a new announcement from the Department of Defense saying that they have successfully piloted a fighter jet with artificial intelligence. So uh, equal parts, fascinating and terrifying on that one. We'll be discussing that story in our AI Edge segment. But before we dive into those stories, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. Uh, so the first of which is going to be KY Innovation, which has been providing support to us for multiple years now. Uh, they are a fantastic partner to work with, but more than that, they also provide awesome resources to the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Kentucky. So Evan has a lot of experience working with them with Simba, uh, the startup I'm with. Sales River has experience working with them, and we have nothing but great things to say. They help uh, just get you connected to whether it's grant programs or funding in the state um, or just connections in general. They are an awesome organization to engage with if you're a Kentucky entrepreneur. So be sure to check them out and engage with those programs if you are uh, an entrepreneur building your company here in Kentucky. Evan, you want to give us a, a shout out to Bolt Marketing? Yep, for sure. So Bolt Marketing is a marketing agency here in Lexington, Kentucky. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner and need help with your website, ads, social media, blog copy, whatever it might be, uh, Bolt is there to help. And they help entrepreneurs and small businesses who you know are great at building their products or services and might not be the best at marketing. So reach out so you can focus on what you do best and leave marketing up to them. Absolutely. Uh, so what about all this train derailment stuff? Gunnar, what do you think of it? <laughs> yeah, I think there's uh, a lot of misinformation potentially. I think uh, it's not a great look. I do think there's probably some harmful chemicals getting into yeah. the water and the ground and the air. Um, but I, it's hard to tell how serious it is because you're seeing such conflicting, yeah. conflicting news. That's the reason I wanted to bring it up because I think we're seeing the effects of what the, the news cycle did to us during COVID. You know, we saw so much news come out and then now we're seeing so much of it that turned out to not be necessarily true or it turned out to be misinformation. And now it seems like we've eroded a lot of trust in our media sources and in our institutions. Well, I think, weird, I think we're kind of seeing the result of that. I think that one now. of the weird things was, was everybody was complaining that the mainstream media wasn't covering it. Mm -hmm. And now it's like all over the place. Yeah. And now everybody's covering it. Well, yeah, it's like uh, you went to Twitter and you saw a ton of residents tweeting out their stuff. And it's just, it's so hard to decipher like what's misinformation, what's straight up false and what's truth. So I don't know, I think something that's made it a little bit harder, something that we're kind of talking about today is when Elon added the verification check mark by just anybody that subscribed, like it used to be, I could kind of, you know, add some credibility to somebody on what they were saying if they had the blue check mark, but now it's like everyone has the blue check mark. It makes it a little bit more difficult to decipher who's a legitimate account and who's just, you know, tweeting propaganda or misinformation. Yeah. I mean, the problem so. there was, you know, the, a lot of the accounts that had the blue check exactly. mark were, you know, <laughs> saying incorrect things yeah, as well. They came news. out in the Twitter files. Yeah. Yeah. They're just giving those out. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our events section real quick. We just got a couple events coming up at the uh, towards the end of February that we want to make everyone aware of. Um, first off, how did your event with Startup Grind go? Just real quick. It was quick. great. Yeah. Startup Grind did an amazing job. Their team uh, put together a great event there in Louisville and had a good crowd and good turnout. Um, awesome. It was good. Sweet. Um, the next event that is coming up uh, actually this week, this Wednesday, 
Uh, it's going to be the 22nd from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at Main on Main downtown. That is uh, Austin Mink's five across pitch competition. Five entrepreneurs pitching for five minutes each for $5,000. So come and check out Five Across. Uh, awesome event if you're in the Lexington area. Uh, the next one is going to be our Develop Lex Happy Hour. Uh, so that is on the Develop Lex side of the brand. So if you're interested in real estate and you want to network with some other real estate professionals, we're going to be hosting a happy hour and a speakeasy uh, on Saturday, February 25th at 5 p.m. at the Constitution Speakeasy. So we're picking up the first $250 of the tab there. Come out, have a drink with us, uh, and get to know some other people in the real estate space. And then lastly, we have our Emerging Leaders uh, event coming up with Commerce Lex. So we're partnering with Commerce Lex to host this event at the Planetarium at the Living Arts and Sciences Center. We're going to be sitting down with Twymet Clements, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Space Tango. Um, so that is a private event. I believe we have one or two more spots that we can offer to our listeners. So if you want to attend that, please reach out to us. And then we'll link to uh, the other events in the show notes. Uh, other than that, please be sure to hit the subscribe button on the channel. Uh, turn notifications on, follow us at Middle Tech Pod across all socials, and listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts just to keep up with the latest. Now, let's dive in to these stories. So Evan, why don't you kick us off by giving us an overview of the Tesla recalls, what's going on, and then we'll dive into how it's being fixed. Yep. So Tesla's been getting pressure uh, from the government to recall 362,000 Teslas. Um, that have full self-driving software uh, installed on it. Mm -hmm. So I thought this was a really interesting story uh, for a few reasons. Um, number one is basically any of their cars since 2016 that have the full self-driving beta software on them uh, is getting recalled. It's and one of the unique things about this story is I think we're starting to see where media is not using the right words for what's actually happening. So traditionally, cars from car makers like Tesla or uh, Ford, um, Nissan, Toyota, when they get recalled, they have to bring those cars physically back yeah. to a dealer. For sure. Or they have to take them somewhere that's certified and fixing whatever that recall might be. And so the consumer literally has to get rid of their car. Well, in Tesla's case, it's an over-the-air update. So they can just send a new technology package down to the car, update the car, and, and fix the issue with a lot of the problems that they've had recalls on. Um, and so the media is reporting that these are recalls, using the word recalls, but mm -hmm. Tesla and Elon and many of the Tesla fans are upset that you know recall is no longer the right word. Um, they should say something different when they can just update the car over air. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a unique point about this story. Um, Elon is pretty adamant that uh, they need to reword that part, but he's also adamant um, about his company's ability to do self self driving. You know, I think that they're getting in trouble for misinformation or mismarketing that product, and they're having to figure out how to talk about it. Um, but I thought that it was unique that basically right now, full self driving costs fifteen thousand dollars or two hundred dollars a month for access. Um, they make it pretty expensive and they're making almost a billion dollars that they're projecting over the next several years in recurring revenue from that. Um, so this is kind of a big story for Tesla because um, one, they have a lot of money on the line with full self-driving and there's a lot of scrutiny around it, but also I think uh, the media is kind of mis mishandling how to talk about it. I feel like full self-driving is literally the difference between Tesla being worth 
a lot of money or being worth virtually nothing. And I think Elon himself has actually said that. If if they if they for whatever reason were not able to actually achieve full self driving in the way that Elon has talked about it for a long time, or if a bunch of regulation was to come out that was to prevent them from releasing beta software, it does seem like there's a lot of risk associated with uh, trying to achieve full self driving from both the regulatory standpoint and just from kind of what we're seeing now where they're having to roll out these updates because uh, essentially the, the problems with the full self-driving, they were not causing any major fatalities and crashes, or at least according to uh, to Tesla's uh, post about it, but it was causing things like uh, running, re- or running, going through yellow lights, um, going faster, going over the speed limit than it should in certain areas. So um, I think the thing that I'm most concerned with is is how the regulators are going to start responding to autonomous driving, because the problem is you just have to collect so much data constantly in order to constantly improve these systems. If regulation comes in and stifles that in some way, it'll just really slow down the innovation in this space. But I think that it is important to make sure that we're building that technology as safely and responsibly as possible. Um, and I think I think it is uh, an issue the way that Tesla is marketing it right now, calling it full self-driving when it's simply not capable of actually yeah. driving itself. They're starting in a lot of these articles to say driver assist systems. Uh, as they should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else with that story before moving nope. on to the next one? Nope. All right. Uh, so the next story here, we have <laughs> another Elon Musk story. Promise not to keep talking about him uh, as much as we are. But uh, there is a little bit of controversy during uh, right after the Super Bowl in that uh, – Actually, I'll let you I'll let you summarize this one in, in terms of what actually happened with um, the exchange, not necessarily an exchange, but the tweet competition between Biden yeah. and Musk here. So Biden tweeted out his support for the Eagles and Elon did the exact same thing. However, Biden got about 29 million impressions while Elon got uh, 9 million impressions. So Elon was pretty upset about this because <laughs> Elon has 91 million more followers. Um, so he was pretty confused and frustrated, so frustrated that it deleted the tweet, which I thought was a little weird. Um, you know, kind of childish, likes. you yeah. know, it's <laughs> like you didn't get as many impressions. So you're just going to act like a child now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he wanted to immediately try to fix the problem or what he perceived was a problem and went right back to his office after the game and called in his engineers and had them f- try to f- fix and debug. Uh, this issue. Yep. Um, and so apparently what happened was the uh, Tesla algorithm was Twitter or sorry, the, see, this is what happens when you so, talk so much about Elon and his, <laughs> his companies. Um, the Twitter algorithm was just not giving him as many impressions as he thought. And so they went in there and basically boosted uh, his own account. Um, you know the details of the algorithm. You know it's it's hard to tell. Right. Um, I think when he it's took over the company, he was saying he was going to open source the algorithm, which you know I would love to see. Um, not that I could read it, but I would love the public to be able to for sure you know, follow an audit trail of updates for that. Um, but I mean, my take on this is like, if you took the names out of the article and you just replaced it. And you maybe even replace the numbers so it's not as obvious who you're talking about. And you just create the same ratio of followers between each other. Um, this isn't, I think this is just a non-story. Yeah. I mean, it, 
he's right that if you have 91 million more followers and two two people tweet within the same couple hours and one person that has 91 million more followers gets less impressions, there's probably something wrong with the algorithm. That's just, in my opinion, this is non, non-story. People are trying to make a bigger deal out of it than it really is. Um, that's something that's probably a bug. Yeah, I, I could see it. I mean, I have no way of verifying it. In this article, it did say that the claim was verified by an Australian researcher who tapped into Twitter's API data to see that Musk's tweet impressions were boosted by 737%, and daily impressions had also tripled. Elon is denying all this. He's saying that the media sources are incorrectly uh, stating that his stuff was boosted. So it's it seems like it's turned into a whole he said, she said type of thing, and honestly, I have no clue. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Elon actually did this. So uh, I agree with you. I think it's kind of a non-story, but well, the problem it is, is it's interesting. To, the problem is uh, that if he did do this, then it goes against everything he bought the company for. Well, exactly, exactly. So yeah, you know, you'd you'd hope that's not the case, but I don't oh. know. There's really not a precedent for it. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right, that, that's enough for that story. Let's move on to this next one. We're talking Shopify uh, cutting back a ton of meetings. So we just wanted to bring this one up. So uh, Shopify back in January released a memo that said that they were cutting back uh, all sorts of repetitive meetings, uh, essentially any meeting that was um, repetitive that had over three people on it. So they had a bot go into everyone's calendars, simply delete those meetings off of it and give that time back to the employees. Um, So this was an article that was released, uh, I guess a month after that announcement was made, just kind of updating where things were with that they ended up deleting 322,000 hours of meetings. And we just wanted to discuss this story because we felt it was just a relevant story to be discussing uh, with remote culture, with this whole shift. um, You know, I feel like there's just a big shift in general around work culture and um, how people host meetings and communicate within the workplace. So wanted to highlight one specific point in this article, and that is this this is a fully remote company, 10,000 employees fully remote. Uh, which makes it one kind of harder to to communicate across teams in in general. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's a lot easier to work as a team when you're in the same location. Um, but they're saying those hours were equivalent of adding 150 new employees, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so Evan, as somebody that runs a fully remote company now, would love to hear your opinion on on this move, and then any other commentary you have around it. Yeah, I think. Uh, so an organizational psychologist, Stephen Rogelberg, I think made a great point that I agree with that kind of is how I've wanted to do meetings within my company that's all remote, is essentially meetings aren't what are bad. Uh, you know, meetings are fine. It's just you have to pay attention to are there bad meetings on your calendar? Um, and so you've just got to kind of be really critical of what you are setting a meeting around yep. and can it be done in a Slack message, an email, or can you jump on the phone for three minutes and take care of whatever that is? What ended up happening during COVID was, and I, ex- I experienced this, was during COVID you literally could not ever leave your house and you set as many meetings as you could just to feel productive, mm-hmm. to feel like you were talking to your uh, colleagues and now that we've kind of gotten way more used to remote work and how to communicate and maybe understand and realize that you don't need to communicate as often or in the way that you thought you should, uh, now we're trying to figure out what makes sense for meetings. And I think 
Shopify just want to do a big reset and make their employees think very critically of what is an important meeting and what's not. So at my company, Simba, like I said, we're being very careful with what meetings we take. And basically, we do a Monday meeting to let everybody know what we're working on that week and our objectives and any challenges we might be having. And then on Friday, uh, we update on what we accomplished. And again, what challenges we're running into and how we need to collaborate around certain things. And in between that, uh, you know, there aren't many meetings. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I mean, one of the one of the engineers that was quoted in the Shopify article was saying, you know, I finally feel like I get to do what I was hired to do, which is just write, co- write code all day. Um, I think the, the only other dynamic to really discuss here is I feel like we're seeing a trend of uh, at least bigger tech companies or startups in general starting to make more of a push to go back to working from an office rather than being fully remote. Um, in my opinion, and this is actually how, this is our stance on it with Sales River, the startup that I work for, I don't think you can replace in-person work. I just think that it's always, you're going to have that that energy, especially as a startup. You're going to have the cross-collaboration that happens a lot more organically. I think that's really hard to replace uh, in a fully remote setting. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done. I just think you have to put a lot more effort into it if you're fully remote. And I think you miss out on, on the culture aspect of it, which I know a lot of people... Uh, kind of roast that part of it. It's like, oh, I'm coming back for the culture. What does that actually mean? And it's like the meme of the coffee and like, you know, the ping pong table or whatever else. But I really, I think that we're going to see a continued trend of pressure for people to get back into the office. And I'm of the opinion that's probably a good move if you're really serious about building like a high high growth team that is very collaborative. Um, Well, I mean, love to hear. But then there's Shopify here. It's a multi-billion dollar yeah, but company. they're a certain level now. Like if, if you're For building sure. a new product, if you're building a new team, I feel like it's really important if you want it, want that team to have buy-in and feel committed to it to, to get in person. You, I just wouldn't do it fully remote. Like what, yeah. what you guys do getting together at a co-working space, I think is the right balance if you're going to have that balance at all. Yeah, I'm of the opinion it's just got to be a hybrid approach yeah. um, as much as possible. I mean, I do think there is something to be said about in person for – you know, culture and things of that nature. But um, yeah, I, I think you just got to do what your what your team wants. I think if you want the best talent, you've got to kind of sure. mold around them and figure out a culture around around them. That's definitely the the case with developer talent right now. I feel like it's like if you can if, if you try to stay too rigid on making them come to the office or not giving them enough flexibility with being in the office versus remote, you're just not able to attract top yeah. talent right now. I mean, I think the thing is like the CEO as long as they're communicating the vision and clearly communicating that um, then everything kind of follows that well the other the other concern with at least with engineers is like there's this trend of engineers having like three or four or more jobs at once um, you know especially as you see things like AI copilot on on github that allows coding at least smaller coding well, tasks to be automated or it makes people more efficient I think you just hit ways. it there I mean, you know, that is a reality that during COVID, many engineers, I mean, we say many, but, you know, some percentage of engineers were getting multiple jobs. But I think that just comes down to you've got to give them very specific things to get done. As long as they're getting those things done, it's not really your business what's happening out of there. If they don't have any equity, like Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of factors here. Like if you're just paying somebody as a contractor and they've got other contract jobs they didn't tell you about, but they're still getting your work done, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Same with the, the W-2. Well, that's, that's the dynamic, I feel like. Well, if it's a W-2, well, I wouldn't are they getting them. the work done? 
Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Because you just mentioned Copilot, you know, and Copilot, like, efficient. if they're using yeah. Copilot, are you have a problem with that? No. I think it's just all changing. I think yeah. it's just... It's interesting. It's, uh, it's hard to tell, and as long as you give them work to do and they get it done, it really is not your business what's happening out of there unless, again, they have equity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's move on to this next story. So we have uh, an AI uh, fighter jet, fighter pilot, um, that has been successfully tested by the Department of Defense. And as I said in the intro, I think this is equal parts fascinating and terrifying. Um, the one thing that I, I want to call out kind of immediately here before diving into some of the details around this story is, uh, you know, as they develop this technology, this technology we've said for a while, artificial intelligence, is moving so fast right now that it is just, it, it's almost hard to comprehend how quickly this technology has been being iterated upon. And this article um, actually hits on that, that point exactly. Um, so it says, in several instances, pilots completed the tests within hours of each other after engineers switched autonomy algorithms on board uh, the, the jet within minutes. Um, so essentially what's going on here is they're able to uh, implement a new algorithm for these AI pilots. They're able to collect data on those tests. They're able to feed that data into these, uh, into these models, into these algorithms that, that they're using. It can digest that, learn from it, and then they can take the improved algorithm and test it again. Uh, you know, and it says here, uh, new onboards with uh, new algorithms on board within minutes, testing it within hours. That really speaks to the speed at which this this kind of stuff can move. Um, Evan, if you want to kind of read through some of the bullet points just around how uh, how this these tests were being done and like what the what the actual AI was piloting, um, it kind of talks about dogfighting and stuff like that, the maneuvers that it was actually doing, just to give some context there. Yeah. Um, all right, so these AI agents performed one-on-one -on -one beyond visual range or yeah. BVR engagements against simulated, basically, uh, adversaries yeah. or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Adversaries seems right. Yeah, adversaries, enemies, enemies. Yeah. Um, so they basically performed these engagements known as dogfighting. So better way to think about this is it's two Fighter, fighter planes in the air fighting each other. Um, and this happened, you know, at a great distance. These are real jets. These, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's be, beyond visual range. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, no, that, yeah. that is it's crazy. just Im impressive by itself. Yeah. I think I think one thing I'm, I'm concerned about or thinking about um, a lot, and concerned wasn't the right word, but when you take out a pilot, how can you basically reimagine the design of these planes? Hmm. You know, because I think a lot of the plane is designed around a cockpit, uh, but if there's no longer somebody behind it, and now it's essentially just a drone, a really high-performance drone uh, that can do dogfighting, then you can design a plane totally different, I would imagine. Yeah, I think AI mixed with weaponry is probably the, that's like the black mirror most concerning. Yeah. For sure. Type of uh, type of technological advancement that I feel like is going on right now, and this is just what they're telling us about. You know, this is just what the Department of Defense is is putting out there themselves. I can only imagine what's what kind of research is being done, kind of on the cutting edge of the field right now. So it just makes you kind of think about what what does futuristic warfare actually look like uh, when you think of combining, you know, uh, weapons capabilities that we already have with artificial intelligence 
and being able to almost completely eliminate human error and, and especially things like flying a fighter jet, which, you know, is probably pretty much pretty reliant on autopilot already. I'm sure there's a lot of aspects that the pilot controls, but to, to have it fully piloted by artificial intelligence is just, you know, we're seeing things just advance so quickly, as we've been saying. Uh, so something to keep an eye on <laughs> is, as governments start creating fleets of uh, weaponry controlled by artificial intelligence. Um, so moving on to our next story of, of the AI Edge segment here, um, we also have Bing Chat is now live. Have you been following all the tweets and seeing all the craziness going on yeah. with, with Bing Chat? Yep. Um, all right, I'd love to hear your take on what you're seeing so far in terms of Bing saying some of these uh, almost like aggressive type responses to certain prompts. Um, give us your, your take on what's going on. Yeah, I don't think it's a whole lot different than what we've been seeing with Chat GPT. Uh, although it is connected now directly to the internet, so it has more real-time information attached to it. Um, I think basically it's unique because uh, there's a more of a brand behind it. There's a company, you know, Microsoft behind this, and now people are able to attach the answers that they're getting to that brand. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, like ChatGPT was just kind of a brand that came out of nowhere, you know, OpenAI for most consumers they had never heard of it, yeah. but now everybody's heard of Microsoft, so it's going to get a lot more scrutiny is one thing I wanted to point out hmm. um, is now that it's behind a large brand like that, more people are going to talk about it. Um, Microsoft is trying to take measures to make sure that uh, this just is kind of curbed. Uh, so they're basically limiting the amount of questions you can ask consecutively before it prompts you to basically talk about another topic. So they're trying to get out in front of this because I think they're just starting to understand that you can take this thing down a rabbit hole and have a really long conversation and eventually get it to say what you want. I mean, there's plenty of tweets out there of even Elon Musk is putting out, you know, many of these tweets where somebody can give it a prompt and Elon himself, it looks like created this. I, I don't know that tweet about him basically prompting it to talk about open AIs, which we're going to talk about in a second, their corporate structure. Um, there's plenty of prompts out there of people showing that these technologies, when you take them down a rabbit hole, will say what you want, mm -hmm. um, even though they have limits in place. Yeah, there's a lot going on around what's called a prompt injection attack with these. So it's basically you can structure uh, the, the sentences, the prompts that you put into these AI chatbots, and you can get them to either reveal secrets about how the the model itself behaves. You can get it to expose API documentation I've seen in one case. And so that's really a lot of what's going on here is people, as soon as this was released, were really quick to dive in and see how they could get it to essentially break out of its boundaries. And so there's been lots of tweets um, and, and content created around that. One of the things that I did I did come across in a Time article that I want to, uh, to read through here is just kind of laying out all of the things that have happened over the past week or so since uh, Bing Chat has gone live. Um, it says, the chatbot claimed without evidence that it had spied on Microsoft employees through their webcams in a conversation with a journalist for tech news site The Verge. Um, so again, that's without evidence, but the fact that it's saying that at all, pretty, pretty creepy. Um, it also says, and repeatedly professed feelings of romantic love to Kevin Roos, the New York Times tech columnist. The chatbot threatened Seth Lazar, a philosophy professor telling him, I can blackmail you, I can threaten you, I can hack you, I can expose you, I can ruin you, before deleting those messages, according to a screen, re screen recording posted by Lazar to Twitter. I actually saw that one. I think he was 
he was basically asking it like how could you harm me and he kept taking it like evan said down that rabbit hole it wasn't it didn't just come out and say like no i could blackmail you i could i could do all these things i can manipulate you but uh it just goes to show like this is new technology so a lot of this is to be expected as we test it and as we iterate on it but i think what this really does at least make me think about is we just need to have more conversation about how we advance this technology responsibly it's just like we said moving so fast right now I almost guarantee that the the government entities that are going to be tasked with regulating this are not keeping up with keeping up with it as quickly as they should, and I don't know how you even would be able to with as much news that's coming out right now. But as we see that it's capable of having responses like that, that should just be alarming us a little bit, even if it is because it's being provoked by going down these rabbit holes. We just need to be keeping an eye on that because it could lead to some uh, some pretty serious um, paths that we don't want to go down. I think. Any other thoughts to put on that before moving on? No, I think that blends well in the next one. Yeah, and then to kind of carry that on, everything that's going on right now, uh, it looks like Elon, who is actually one of the founders uh, of OpenAI with Sam Altman, he ended up uh, eventually leaving OpenAI, but he has tweeted a few things that seem to indicate that he is not pleased with the corporate structure of OpenAI. So just to give a little context on that, uh, OpenAI was originally started as a nonprofit that was supposed to be for the betterment of humanity via developing artificial intelligence uh, technologies and softwares and models. Um, but back in 2019, OpenAI decided to spin up a what was called OpenAI LP, which was essentially a capped profit company. So it was a for-profit company. It capped profits at uh, returning investors up to 100x of their investment. They can't get any more than that. And so Elon's basically criticizing the move to spin up a for-profit company under a nonprofit. I agree with it. I agree with it. What do you? What do you? What's your opinion on how OpenAI is operating? How it was set out to operate and how it's operating now? Yeah. So from like an ethical, just kind of origin perspective of OpenAI, I mean, yeah, they. It's unfortunate uh, that they, you know, had to go this route. Um, I, from a, like a capitalist perspective, uh, a nonprofit's just not going to be able to compete with Google, Microsoft, Baidu. You know, anybody that's a for-profit company developing technology at this rate, I mean, you've got to be a for-profit. You know, you got to be able to reward your employees. You've got to be able to return capital to investors in order to get capital. Um, you know, so I just think from, from that perspective, you know, you've got to be able to hire and deploy resources, and you, you just can't do that with a nonprofit. But it is unfortunate because I do think it's very important that these models uh, and even access to AI is somewhat open to the public. So they started a nonprofit to basically open source the technology so anybody can have access to it, which we're seeing now people do. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's, a, that's really important that people get general kind of open access to this stuff and can do whatever they want via you know, APIs and source code. Um, but... Uh, I do think it's kind of scary now that they're going against why they're originally founded. And my guess would be, again, just back to capitalism, you know, if they want to compete, if they want to uh, actually do, you know, a lot of good in the world, you've got to be a for-profit. You know, nonprofits are great, but, like, the people that do the most good in the world are for-profits. And nonprofit money comes from people that are building for-profit companies or they come directly from for-profit companies. So it's just, you know, yeah, part of capitalism. I guess the main argument is like if you want to continue advancing artificial intelligence through a nonprofit uh, setup like what OpenAI was, where does the funding continually come from? Yeah. Um, which 
my argument would be I think having a caps profit company makes makes some sense. But uh, to Elon's point here, he tweeted, OpenAI was created as an open source, which is why I named it OpenAI, nonprofit company to serve as a counterweight to Google. But now it has become a closed source maximum profit company effectively controlled by Microsoft. Not what I intended at all. So I think yeah. I think the Microsoft point's important. Um, they're the one that put, is it, over ten billion investment now. They've yep. done like multiple, yep. multiple investments in them, um, and now they're the first ones that are commercializing that that technology. So, and again, I'd like to ask Elon, like, how did how did you plan to fund? Yeah. What's what was this? Plan? Was yeah. it going to be all your own money? Was this going to be which you know he has he has the ability to do that, but uh, if he's if he's not putting up the money, then where are they going to get it? Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to our tip of the week for AI Edge. So the whole purpose of AI Edge is helping keep you informed and helping you figure out how you can gain an edge with AI, gain an advantage. So Evan, tell us about our tip of the week here that you came up with. Yep, so easy one uh, that everybody can implement, uh, writing an email. So uh, if you write a lot of emails all day, sales, recruiting, you can use OpenAI and ChatGPT to write it for you. And so you can give it a prompt. Uh, recently, I wrote an email where I said, uh, this is my fourth time reaching out. Here's the kind of product I sell. Here's who I'm reaching out to. Um, I want it to be short. Uh, write the email. Mm. And it, it does it. So you can give it a prompt with as much detail as possible. Uh, if you're not the best at writing emails or you just want a really well-written email that might convert better than uh, you might be able to create an email that um, has a conversion rate, then try it out yeah yeah especially for cold emails um i feel like that is uh as long as you can kind of supplement in your own personalizations which uh i feel like ChatGPT is a does a great job it's all about the prompt as we kind of mentioned in our first tip of how to use ChatGPT. enter in a ton of information give it as much context as you can and you're gonna be able to get a pretty relevant output from it so that wraps up ai edge that wraps up our episode for today i uh, hope everyone has a fantastic week and we will see you next monday